stepping back and stroking to Bogdanovich, thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! See it again. No double team help, and B takes it right to the rack. What's going on, everybody? It is Sunday, July 10th over on the main line. Uh, it is a, a, another just wonderfully hot day where the humidity is is, is killer out there. And uh, there's nothing better to do than watch some summer league basketball and, of course, talk to fellow Sixers beat writer Noah Levick about this always uh, mercurial, crazy team that we, that, that, that we cover. Noah, how are you today? Doing well, Austin. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on again. Uh, we're definitely in the summer league groove. There are definitely less off days in the summer league season, uh, which is fair enough. Um, so, yeah, I'm enjoying at least some basketball to write about, even if it's not quite NBA regular season caliber. Uh, still enjoying getting to watch some of the young guys uh, in summer league. Definitely. You, you wish you had more days between games when you see the quality of basketball that's being played <laughs> for some of them. If I, if I, if I have to watch uh, one more of this guy or that guy, I'm like, please end this <laughs> mercifully. <laughs> yeah. I try to try to appreciate the little things and the yeah, that's for moments sure. where promise is apparent. So try to look at the bright side as much as possible while also being realistic that, a high-scoring summer league game is not quite the same as doing that in February or March of the NBA season. Absolutely. I think you have the right perspective on it. Um, before we get to summer league, though, I do have a couple of things to address because it has been a while since I last potted. The Sixers, uh, they traded their pick in the 2022 draft on draft night to acquire DeAnthony Melton. Start there. Um, I, won't, I, I won't say that I knew a ton about DeAnthony Melton coming in uh, more, but I, I did have the understanding that he was like regarded as one of those, like analytically speaking, best reserve guards in the league you could get. Like he's up there with like the, uh, the, the guy from Denver who got traded to Washington. Um, Monte Morris. Yeah. Monte Morris He's up there with Monte Morris um, as you know, he regarded it as just a highly efficient, consistent, um, backup guard. Um, pros and cons of that. The thing that like stands out to me immediately is just like the his defensive prowess kind of goes understated because he's only six two, but he has a plus wingspan by like five or six inches. I think that's a really sneaky big asset for any team because you got a small guy like that with with with, with the length. There's a lot of versatility there because of the low center of gravity. What do you think about? Um, just from a physical standpoint, what he brings to the team. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of the way he just so happens to be especially strong where the Sixers were weakest last year. He's arguably the best six foot two combo guard in the NBA. Probably is actually. Uh, the wingspan helps there, the athleticism, the instincts, the high motor, the toughness. Uh, but just the numbers themselves, when he's on the floor, he grabs a lot of offensive and defensive rebounds. Yeah. 
Uh, and then I think defensively, he is outstanding at forcing turnovers. And unlike Matisse Thibel, has the offensive skill to regularly do positive things after he gets a steal or creates a transition possession. Uh, per cleaning the glass, 96th in steal percentage, 97th in block percentage among combo guards. Uh, and I think the Sixers, after losing Ben Simmons last year, were a middling team in terms of forcing turnovers. Putting in nicely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, statistically middling, but yeah. um, definitely was not a, anywhere near a strength of theirs. And we saw in the playoffs so many times they just had to score in the half court and everything took a lot of effort offensively. So getting more open floor opportunities, I think Melton has a great shot to help them in that goal. Uh, so I love everything he brings to the table there. And then offensively, he's glad to take open threes. He's a much improved outside shooter and he's around 39% from three over the last two seasons. So big. Another thumbs up there. So I, I like the trade a lot. I, I think it's hard for me to find a reason not to give that trade an A, quite honestly. Uh, and you, you get these added little positives as well uh, that say a nice contract from the team side, uh, un, you know, under contract for about $8 million, um, the next both in the next two seasons. And then... Yep. He's only 24 years old, so it's not so ludicrous to think he might make meaningful improvement. So those to me are the broad ways in which I like the deal uh, for the Sixers and just overall like Melton as a player. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's a home run of a, of a, of a trade. I, I Obviously, like we can say like in the backdrop of Tyrese Maxey being drafted 21 two years ago, whatever it was, like it's kind of hard to like say like, that, that's the best thing you could have gotten at 23 anyway. Like you could like theoretically you could find the gem at 23. Um, that is better than the Anthony Melton. But I think um, for the purposes of like this coach um, and what this team needs, which is pieces that can win, that can, can contribute right now. That's a, a slam dunk of, of a trade, especially considering the fact that you didn't have to really give up an, an asset besides a first round pick. It was Danny Green who wasn't going to be able to play. Um, and it was the pick. I, I'm a little uh, – I, I like that you brought up block percentage and steal percentage from cleaning the glass because I use those too. I was a little hesitant to go, to go with block percentage just, just because like combo guards are inherently, I guess, less likely to get blocks than, say, other position players. And so you could just be the like one of the best at something, but your position inherently is not very good at it. So really, what does that mean in the grand scheme of like the rest of the players in the league? The thing that really, that, I, that I thought kind of foolproofed it was the fact that his steal percentage was really high as well. Like that's like a, that's like you can, you can be a, you can play any position and be a, 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 an adequate or, you know, very, very, you know, uh, adept player when it comes to, to recording steals and having a knack for that. And I think that tells says a lot about who he is as a defender, defensive player, um, and just like this team getting out in transition for easy baskets is going to be so critical because you have, uh, you know, you, you can't always like just let let James Harden, you know, go in ISO or you know let the Joel operate out of the post or the the, the nail um, in the mid range, and so just you know having 
mechanisms in place that allow you to get out and transition and run is so critical. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful pickup there. Three point percentage is not, is not something that I like take too much value in because you can be a guy that takes two threes a game. And if you're shooting 37% over the course of a season on two threes per game, it's kind of like, okay, but what's like, like, what does that really mean? He, he shot 8.1 threes per 36, which was huge for me. Um, and I think it's a very tangible value, 37% on eight threes per game. That's that, 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 that's a real sample size and it's, it's true efficiency. Um, so I think it's a home run of a pickup. Um, I, I don't think he can play the three, but I'm pretty confident he can play one and two. What do you, where, where do you envision him playing within this roster? Yeah, I think he's like a few guys here in that he, he's more of a two than a one. Um, yeah. Just in terms of what he's done, like the lineups he's in, most frequently was next to John Morant or Tyus Jones. Uh, and playmaking and running an offense is not a strength of his. Uh, certainly can make like solid reads as a ball handler, but is not yet advanced there, and I don't think – it's probably advisable to put too much on his plate in that regard. So, yeah, I think in, in most situations he'll be asked to um, guard really strong wings and, uh, you know, provided they're not, you know, 6'6 six, six plus. Um, but I do think he can guard much bigger guys than you might assume because of the wingspan, because um, he's, he's just pretty sturdy physically. Uh, and he's just outstanding at being disruptive and just being very consistently positive across the board, I think, as a defender. just I, I just really like his defense overall. Uh, and, yeah, I agree with the point you make about the block percentage. You don't want to take that to mean that he's equivalent to a center blocking over two, two and a half shots a game or something, but he is not irregularly coming up with these – impressive highlight blocks where he's recovering out of nowhere a little a la Matisse Thibel to uh, make something really positive and really momentum turning happen happen for his team but I do think it's fair to not be entirely sure where he fits in on this roster or who he might be best with uh, we know Doc Rivers last postseason understandably loved keeping his starting backcourt together as many minutes as possible. Um, but the reality is you can't do that 48 minutes per night. Uh, and Tyrese Maxey is another six foot two guard. Uh, so I think in all likelihood with these new pieces, there's going to be a lot of experimentation uh, and a lot of just figuring out what works. But I don't think just because Milton happens to not be six foot six tall means the Sixers will be shy about trying him in a lot of different situations. Yeah. Like I, I do think he can um, be pretty versatile uh, lineup wise for this team. Yeah. Like if, if you're, if you're playing teams that are going to go non-traditional and go small, like you can easily, I know easily, but you can comfortably put out there PJ Tucker at the five and, you know, Melton and uh, house and whoever else you want. But I think the point is like, being able to play up a position if necessary for a couple minutes here and there. Um, also, but predominantly playing the one and the two. Um, 
is really needed versatility that this team just didn't have last season. And I think, uh, again, like the, the, the biggest plus for me is him. Be, the fact that he is six, two, I take that as him having a, a, um, a lower center of gravity, which makes it, it's going to make it a lot easier for him to like, you know, bend his knees and really get, get in the stance and dig in on screens with smaller guards and, fight through those screens and not give them the space to pull up, um, you know, in, it, you know, upon breaking the screen or, you know, getting into the flat of, 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 of space that opens up in the mid range. If you're in drop coverage, I think you have an opportunity to really step in there and be impactful in that regard and, and really disrupt ball handlers that way. Definitely. Definitely. I think it, he's going to make this a better, deeper team. Uh, it's just a question of exactly which ways he accomplishes that. I think on a negative note, it's fair to acknowledge that he doesn't have a lot of postseason experience yeah. or success. Um, I think only 15 postseason games across two appearances in the playoffs and didn't happen to shoot well in the postseason. And he himself has even admitted he's a streaky shooter. Uh, and yeah. part of that is... To his credit, he made these adjustments form-wise uh, with kind of tweaking his base, and um, he, he still sometimes falls out of the rhythm, and, and it becomes a little less comfortable, and the jumpers aren't falling. Yeah. The positive side of that is, like many bench players, he can get super hot, and it's not out of the question that he could do something Danny Green-like in the playoffs, where in that Miami series, Green just catches fire, and you know, makes it uh, much easier for the Sixers to, to win those couple games at home. So uh, the reliability offensively um, is nowhere near the defense where you know every night that he, he's probably going to help you win games. Uh, but I think the plus side of Melton is that, you know, as is a theme of this offseason for the Sixers, he's genuinely a two-way player. And as you said, he's not at all bashful about putting those threes up and therefore – is going to be a neutral or positive guy spacing wise for you offensively. I did see like a little bit of him, I guess, coming off screens and attacking in the middle of the floor and then comfortably pulling back and saying like, Hey, I have a lot of space here. And then taking threes off the, off, off the dribble or off the step back. Um, not like, not like with this, with the fluidity and the, and the, I guess the pervasiveness that a James Harden would, but to like, to like he, he has shown signs of comfort with like, Hey, I can be a tertiary ball handler here. I can, you know, read a defense and then make a decision out of that and not have it be the most telegraph thing in the world. I think like, like you said, like you said, his athleticism lends to his ability to make swooping recoveries across the court and block shot. I think like the ability for wings or guards to not telegraph their defensive rotations is like a huge, huge, huge underrated uh, attribute. Like if, if you're going to have guards to say like, Hey, I have an, I have an angle here to get to the rim and he's coming from the opposite elbow and, and, and snuffing that shot out. That's huge. Being able to do that or a big is, you know, a big thinks he can take MB one-on-one and then here comes Belton out of nowhere at the weak side rejection off the backboard huge that those are huge attributes that they haven't really had in Ben Simmons absence that I think won't make up for it all in one player but I think it, it 
makes up for many of the things that you kind of saw they lacked last season that hurt them in the regular season and in the playoffs as well. Yeah, I don't want to overstate this with yeah. both Melton and Tucker and House, but the consistent effort and energy uh, and the plays that lift a team's spirit They've got a few guys now who are going to help them there, I think. Um, and that's, of course, super intangible and uh, just just hard to put your finger on exactly. But I think if you watch this team last year, you recognize during important games when things started to go downhill for them, they were really poor at resurrecting situations um, and at – kind of reviving themselves when things were listless and aimless and players like D'Anthony Melton should help solve that issue. I think in a big way. Yeah, no, I totally agree. You made a good segue um, uh, to the PJ Tucker and Daniel house. Um, and for the longest time, all the reporting was, the Sixers don't plan to have their 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 NTMLE or their their BAE. They're going to have the, only the tax mid level. It was that was reporting for for days and weeks, and you know. But eventually, there was enough smoke from the national people, and you know, you just kind of thought like they have a plan here that they're just not telling people about. And obviously, that ended up manifesting in the way of James taking a fifteen million dollar pay cut uh, this season. We'll see what the exact figure looks like, I guess, soon because the deal is everyone says it's going to get wrapped up eventually. Um, but it's looking like it's going to take the form of, you know, the 15 million, which is a million more than what PJ and Daniel are going to make. But um, curious, your thoughts on PJ Tucker and Dan house. So for Tucker, I think I've seen in a lot of places it described as an overpay and, I guess that doesn't seem entirely off base to me, but I also think you have to understand the context of what is necessary to land a player. Right. And yeah, exactly. Right. Kind of one of the best uh, things you can say about PJ Tucker is that contending teams want him. And uh, you know, it sounds like Miami, the Sixers hadn't been able to, or hadn't been willing or, to offer as much as they did would have found a way to get him back. So um, I think you throw a lot of the traditional box score stats out the window and you take the track record of impacting winning uh, and having relentless effort in big games. uh, And you make sure you at least don't undervalue that and kind of how you assess the Sixers adding Tucker. But look, the reality is, like, 37-year-old player, it's rare for those guys to have sustained health in the NBA. And Tucker has this durable reputation, even at a long Ironman streak at one point of 200-plus, maybe even 250-plus games. But 37 is 37, and the risk is significant here, right? And that is especially so you're talking about 39 40 the late you know the second third years of this contract but i think as far as like enhancing the sixers chances of winning a title next year uh he does that because 
the stars on this team wanted him for good reason. Um, and he's a known quantity with the toughness and the defense and just elite uh, positional versatility. Um, and I, I, yeah, I have nothing but good things to say about him at, you know, on all those fronts. House, I've always, always liked his game. I thought it was perplexing to me personally last year when he was like trying to stick in the league and on these two ways. I'm like, this is a, a better player than that. Yeah. Um, I do think though, it's fair to classify him as a journeyman and to note that the only real sustained uh, success he's had in the NBA is with the Houston Rockets. Uh, and he still, I think, <clears throat> needs to show just how much he can trust them in the playoffs. Um, but look, he's a, he's an NBA quality two-way wing. Sixers lacked those last year, and they, they needed to get better there, especially after trading away the injured Danny Green. Uh, I think with House, I'm probably most impressed by the ability to – uh, string together like, defensive efforts. I just think it's actually pretty rare in the NBA that you see wings who can guard a bunch of actions back to back to back, right? Like you have guys that are on ball specialists. You have guys that are awesome at chasing around screens. Of course you have effort weighing a lot of times during the regular season across the board. And just when I watch house, um, he's pretty consistently locked in and he's also good at, you know, team runs him around a couple of screens. He's on the ball, but in control. Then someone tries to take him off the dribble. Like he contains the penetration. Yep. Um, the ball swung. He's making the right rotation. Like, I think he's well above average in that broad category of like multiple defensive efforts. Um, and I think uh, that'll be valuable to the Sixers, though he's, um, you know, perhaps not as great in other areas. I think that's a really nice trait um, that they're getting in, in house. So what you just described to me sounds like two players that maybe win you a couple more games that go to crunch time than maybe you would have won. And those games make up significant standing in the regular season. Um, I mean, I, I think those two guys are like very high level guys that like they're they're gonna do the things that don't really have big displays or big aesthetics and set in, in box scores but those are the plays that you remember when you are dissecting or looking back upon a, a close victory um get, you know things like when tyrese charges into the backcourt and and saves the ball from going out of bounds and saves it to James Harden, you know, against the Miami Heat in the second round. Like that was a that was a momentous play in the game. It it only shows up as, you know, whatever it shows up as in the statute, if anything at all. But that's a that's a that's a, a little thing that manifests in a huge way. And I think those are the things that that, that those guys do. And I mean I, I think you hit the, the nail on the head with like the relative you, know, you have to have a relative understanding of what like what $10 million can get you in the NBA and the mid-level exception can get you in the NBA. I think in the case of like PJ Tucker, if his value was around that, it's a no brainer. And it's especially a no brainer because Joel for the first time publicly in my memory, like 
I don't, know, I don't even mean Jimmy. Like this is like Jimmy was different because it was it, 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 he had already been you know moved to Miami. There was no going back. This was like, hey, this guy's available. I want this guy, and I, like I'm telling you, I want this guy. He like, very publicly yearned for 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 PJ. And when your star does that for the first time in memory, um, it's something you got to do. And you know, I, 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 I think it's a perfect pickup um, because. In, I remember sitting in, in in you know the press section in the three for the three games and against you know against Miami that were in Philly and thinking this guy is outworking every single player on the Sixers and he's the second best player for the Heat and he wasn't scoring a ton of points there wasn't like putting up all the polished flashy numbers that you see but he was who was the first one to lose balls who was the first one to crash the glass and sneak in a rebound over somebody else and get a putback it was all pj tucker and that's exactly the type of uh glue and connective tissue i think this team lacked and you know uh, we can talk about the age and you know 37 and whatnot it doesn't really bother me as much because like he, he's never been a high usage offensive player. He only had a usage of eleven and a half percent last season, which was ninth percentile for bigs. Um, and he's not going to command a ton of touches on offense. He never has. He's a guy that's going to be, you know, peeling to the corners, taking those threes, you know, operating out of a role maybe. But by and large, it's going to be all you know, backdoor cutting, corner threes, and then. All of his work is done on the defensive end of the floor. Maybe he's not at 37, 38, 39, taking the primary uh, you know, assignment, but maybe he's completely neutralizing the secondary or tertiary options. Yeah, I think just, just thinking back to that series, every offensive rebound he got felt like two and a half or three offensive yeah, rebounds. Yeah. Yeah. All the, you know, ex- extreme momentum plays. I, the games in Miami, the, there were um, a couple where got an offensive board. It led to uh, Oladipo three or Butler three, and you just felt the energy surge for the Heat and uh, the shoulder slumping, essentially, for the Sixers. So I don't think – that is entirely overblown, the extent to which he just does so much more than his statistics reflect. Um, and I think the fact that winning teams want him just is a nice illustration of that. Um, yeah, I think offensively, some maybe sneaky positives with Tucker are the threes he shoots are by and large corner threes. The Sixers are losing a guy who was similar in Danny Green. Uh, I, I don't expect he'll necessarily sustain the percentage from last year, uh, which I think was around 41, 42 in the regular season, even a little higher in the playoffs. You know, that's the best of his career. If the Sixers get that again, great. But if he's uh, taking the open shots and many of them are corner threes, that's, that's fine enough. Um, you know, Eric Spolstra was also really complimentary, I think correctly of his, Ability as a facilitator, which the Heat leaned on more this year when Bam Adebayo uh, was out post-thumb surgery. So I I think especially on a team like the Sixers where the high-usage stars are double-teamed a lot and the role players are occasionally placed in, you know, these temporary 
four on three or two on one situations, having a guy who makes solid decisions and trusts himself to like make, you know, not simple passes uh, is positive. And I think PJ Tucker broadly uh, meets that classification in my eyes. So uh, yeah, you're, you're not going to expect many high scoring games, many outrageously impressive box score nights, but I think he is still like quite a good player um, who should, who should help the Sixers in, in a variety of ways. Um, I am curious. Yeah. What kind of defensive assignments they give him. I think ideally what you said is probably about right. Uh, but also the reality is that Matisse Thibel was the, the one all defensive team selection on the Sixers. And of course there are, major questions about his viability in the playoffs, whether he will be a sixer when the next playoffs arrive. Um, Tucker, we know he's, he's up for whatever he's asked to do, Yeah, um, but perhaps not ideal if every single night he has to do extremely, extremely difficult and physically taxing things uh, in the playoffs. So I'm curious how that'll plan out, pan out with uh, what he's asked to do defensively uh, for the sixers. Let me ask you this: um, take a, Can you can you can you tell me how many non-corner threes he took last season for the Heat? I'd expect it's a low number. So I, I was glancing at like the, and again, this is one where we, we have to take the position into consideration. He's classified as a big, but I think the past five or six years he's in the hundredth percentile with uh, the frequency of three pointers that are threes. So. Uh, nine quarter threes, let's say 17. Very close. 20. Oh. <laughs> Do you know how many, you know, on the back? You know how many corner threes he took? Corner threes. So I, I know the overall three point volume wasn't huge. I want to say it was like 1.5 or 1.7 or something. So nine quarter threes, we'll say, uh, during the regular season, 175. Wow. 173. You were right there, right there on both numbers. That's, imp- that's impressive. I didn't think I was going to wow you there. That's, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm well, and I was just, I was trying to be deliberate and making sure I, I gave it a decent guess. I'm glad I did. That's a, that's a heck of a guess. So 173 corner threes, 20 non corner. It is worth noting he shot 41% on the corners and better from non-corners. So, I mean, again, it, the, the fact that he's only took 20 tells you his confidence in that shot. So probably you don't want him straying too far away from the corners. But, um, you know, I, I do think there is, a, you know, a, a little bit of offensive vacuum that he has beyond just the, the corner three. And I do think that, you know, he can serve as kind of a hub of your offense in some ways with like, passing there was plenty of actions in Miami ran like split actions where he is setting a screen for for a hero or a Robinson and then if the defense overplays the shooter he's cutting out he's you know he's basically he's 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 slipping the screen and, and acting as a short roller so I mean just intuitive processing of the of, of, of what the defense is doing is a skill of his that I think will come in handy and I think like with the double teaming like you said his he, he's someone who I think if he sees Harden getting a high double or, you know, Joel getting, you know, the, the, or he sees the defense loading on Joel, he's going to read that as, okay, let me serve as like a pressure valve that I can just sprint to this spot, 
and be there when, when the pass comes to them so they can find me for a dunk here or I can fade out to the three-point line and, and they can find me there. So his, his ability to, to know where the spots are to be a release of, of, of double-team pressure I think is, is, is another valuable thing that he brings to the table. Um, over to Dan, Dan House, I think this is like analytically one of the more underrated additions. I, I, I'm not as familiar with his game as I am with PJ's game, but I mean, you look at Daniel, Daniel House's stats. 42% from three, 74% at the rim last season. That's insane. Like, those are very efficient figures um, in nearly 500 minutes of the Jazz. So, I mean, it isn't. It wasn't small sample size of, to- of time. He was logging real minutes and, uh, by and large, very efficient. And, by the way, 87% of his shots came across at the rim or from three. So, he's sort of the – if you wanted to put it a snapshot of what the modern-day – I guess analytics one out of a three and D wing. That's kind of what he is like, just a volume ish three point shooter who also can get to the rim and, and can finish with some, some level of consistency. Um, I do wonder if like the fact that he was like, his best years were in Houston. And then he had a time where he was out of the NBA for a little while. I do wonder if maybe that lends itself to like, does this guy have some concerning, off the court things, which I, I mean, I, I can't say I know about or I, you know, what, what have you, but it, it does make you wonder, like, why wasn't this guy on a roster? You know what I mean? Right. I think just there was the very public bubble incident where the NBA oh, yeah. found he had an unauthorized guest in his hotel room, and that was a huge bummer. And he had James Harden saying, This is very, very disappointing. And I yeah. think. The Rockets were deflated by that because he was a, a key member of that team and they lose him during the playoff series against the eventual champions. So I imagine everyone around the league is aware of that and he's probably having to fight against that a little reputation-wise. But I think um, Lee James Harden was on board with this addition and that's meaningful. Yeah. Uh, and... House is another one of these guys where he's going to be great with the the energy and the effort and um, is going to take pride in making things difficult for the other team defensively. So um, I like all, all that about him. I think we don't want to read too much into the numbers being nice in Utah, although credit to him for yeah. – like earning himself a more regular place back in the league, but he still needs to show, I think that he's capable of understanding and executing a role yes. um, in, for a playoff team. Again, he, he still needs to, to demonstrate that, but I think all the, all the tools are most definitely there. Um, I've always liked what he can do as a slasher. And I think we'll fill a void there for the Sixers. When the catch-and-shoot three isn't there, he is quite comfortable and confident with uh, one or two explosive dribbles and then finishing strong at the rim. Like a lot of Daryl Moore Houston guys, I think, loves playing in the open floor uh, and will be happy, be happy to do so here in Philly, be happy to try to contribute to increased pace, more transition opportunities, 
Um, so I think in those specific ways, he's, he's nice uh, for this team. But I do wonder just how much they'll lean on him. I think you could get yourself into some trouble if you, if you see him as a guy who's necessary for 30, 35 minutes a night. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah. I think a role in the, the low to mid-20s, something along those lines – um, I would personally have confidence, you know, sitting here today that House can uh, do it pretty well and stay on the floor in the playoffs, right? Like if every component of his game is in firing, uh, that's not necessarily a disaster the way it would be for a for a Cork Maz or a Matisse. I guess my point is, if you're looking at the at, at, at the you know the dollar store barrel, and you're looking for the for what you know, some of the nicest pieces you can get with with you know the the BAE I think Dan House presents one of the nicer options you can probably get. Agreed. Yeah, I I uh, thought it was a very very nice pickup. I think sort of surveying the wing market cuz we all knew that they had to add some sort of wing. Uh he was the most or one of the most attractive wings for me personally in this price range. And oh, by the way, he's played with James Harden and had success with James Harden before. So yeah, uh, absolutely, I'm on the same page there. Let's 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 then take it over to uh, well. So let's 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 address this first. Um, do you think PJ can start next to Tobias? I do. Uh, I don't have any large concerns about that. While acknowledging it's perhaps not the most optimal fit ever. I just continue to be a strong believer that Tucker is an extraordinarily versatile defender. Mm-hmm. And I also think that Harris, since he arrived in Philadelphia, he's made major strides defensively. I think he was downright excellent against Pascal Siakam in that series. Yeah. And I think throughout this year, he even showed the ability to, to guard down a little bit. Like there was the, the game in the regular season where he asked to take the Darius Garland assignment and help shut him down in the second half. Uh, I think we've seen for a while that his physical strength is an asset where in certain matchups, you can allow him to guard a four and Harris take the five. I think yeah. the Sixers have done that against uh, Minnesota, for instance, with uh, Harris on towns. So I, I think you got two versatile defenders and I think um, you still have the ability to, be a high caliber defensive team uh, with Tucker and House, or sorry, Tucker and uh, Harris in your starting lineup. Uh, offensively, like PJ Tucker is a low maintenance guy, as you said. So, regardless, he, he's going to stand in the corner and shoot open threes and occasionally do some other things related to being a release valve or um, just finding little ways to help the team, such as offensive rebounding or what have you. Uh, with Harris, it's always been a interesting question where he fits here offensively obviously he embraced the catch and shoot role more once james harden got on board yeah uh, but i think it's always an open question of how do you incorporate him ideally into your offense because you don't want to entirely abandon the things he does well with the ball in his hands yeah uh, as a pick and roll guy as a mismatch guy as a post-up guy but those things just 
on a team with James Harden and Joel Embiid can't be quite as prevalent as they were when Harris was a Detroit Piston or, a, you know, earlier in his career. So, um, but I don't see Tucker as in any way making things more difficult for Harris offensively. I think Tucker is always going to be complimentary and always going to be low usage. So um, I think that can still work fine enough uh, having those two on the floor for heavy minutes, including starting minutes. Yeah, I, I th- I'm in the same boat. Like, I think, I think Tobias is maybe not, obviously not the best fit, right? But I would say Tobias has a maybe a, a versatile enough of an offensive game where he can play out of the post. He can, you know, he can sprint to the corners. He can, um, you know, fill out, you know. Uh, I guess fill out wide and in, in, in the in the fast break lanes and, and take wing threes, or we can you know set set a screen as a trailer and then pop out for top you know above the break three. I I think he has enough versatility to his offensive game that he and Tucker can coexist in the same lineup because Tucker is not playing out of the post. It isn't like you are you're running a risk of you know doubling the post with with uh with Tobias and, and and Tucker on the same side of the court and clogging that up. Like one's gonna be sprinting to the corner or cutting or cutting off the ball. The other's gonna be doing something else within the offense. I think they're fine in that regard. And I think defensively like you know they're both obviously a little bit maybe undersized for the forward positions in terms of defensive matchups. But I think Tobias, as you said, has made enough strides uh, as a defender where he can garner a secondary or tertiary option. He can, you know, play passing lanes and 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 make and make anticipatory plays. And same thing with PJ Tucker. I think if you have enough of those guys that are like in that six five to six eight range that can sort of move on their feet a little bit and be nimble. You have a you have a defense that is capable of sort of swarming opponents and taking advantage of mistakes. So I totally agree that they can play uh, together. Uh, do you think that PJ can play small ball five? Because I ha- I did some numbers research on this and I'm pretty confident he can. Yeah, I I definitely do. I was I was honestly a little perplexed that people weren't talking about that more. <laughs> Um, of course, the back of five has always been a large area of concern and scrutiny with Joel Embiid. I, I just don't necessarily think that you're going to see Paul Reed and or Charles Bassey playing anywhere close to 100% of the backup center minutes. I think DJ Tucker is going to play a lot of those. Part of the reason I believe that to be true is Post-ups are fading out of the NBA. Big-bodied centers are less and less common. Yep. And it's not even that P.J. Tucker can't hang with those sort of players. I mean, he was trying to guard Steven Adams with the Houston Rockets, but he's just not even going to have to that much, I don't think, um, as a backup center. I, I just think the people get too caught up on that he's 6'5". He's... He is exceptional in the ability to guard fives um, despite them being much taller than him. He's just, I think you have to throw sort of your 
perceptions of what a six foot five player is out of the window with this guy. Um, so yeah, and I, I definitely believe he can do it. I, I think, sure, there might be some matchups where it's not ideal. Adams was one of them where, yeah, yeah maybe the size was a little too daunting and asking him to do it a hundred percent of the time was um, not, not the best situation for Houston. Um, but as far as doing it 10 minutes a night in a playoff series, yeah, I think he can no doubt do that. Um, I, I don't have any, any questions about um, Tucker's ability to guard anyone to two through five, um, not necessarily at an elite level, every single matchup, but um, in a way that doesn't hurt your team and you, and you can be fine with him uh, in that assignment. And, and I throw center under that same umbrella as well. I think like one of his best skills is his unique ability to just wall off guys. Like he'll, he'll have guys that like he, Harden was trying to take them one-on-one and granted maybe Harden thought the best barometer last season because of whatever was going on with them. But I mean, he, if he gets in front of you and he digs in, he he's going to tire you out and force the turnovers because you can, he's just going to wall you beat you from spot to spot and just demoralize you and make you kind of beg for mercy, I guess, as a, as a ball handler. And I think, he has that strength against, you know, bigs, traditional bigs as well. And not to say that Draymond's a traditional big per se, but like, for example, there's a, there's, a, there's a great clip of him, like, attacking the basket over Draymond, missing, getting an offensive rebound, and Draymond lands right on him, then he throws it up and in and gets a foul, and the whole place goes crazy. He's like, that's just like him using his brute strength to fight physicality to physicality. And that's sort of his game. So I, I, I totally think he can play the small ball five. And I even looked up some numbers to back it up. Last season when he was in Miami, with this is with, with, with Deadman and Bam off the floor. So basically he would figure to be the only big in the lineup. Miami was plus 2.97 per 100 possessions in almost 500 minutes. Let's take it to Milwaukee without Lopez or Portis, plus 8.45 per, per 100 possessions and 200 minutes. Hartenstein or Capella off the floor. Houston was plus 3.44 per 100, per 100 in almost 2,000 minutes. Without Nene, Capella, Hartenstein previous season, 0.93 per 100. So it'll, it gets the lowest value, but still it's it's positive in almost 100 minutes. And then in the first season with Houston, Nene, Capella, Tarek Black all off the court. PJ is the only big there, you would think. Houston's plus 8.33 per 100. So he's there's been positive value in PJ playing the backup five everywhere he's been over the last handful of seasons. He's certainly capable of doing it. I think it's a matter of what is Doc's risk aversity to doing it. Do they go and do they add another backup five? Do they put their full trust in the B-ball Paul and – Charles Bassey and, or, you know, or will PJ really get a chance to play small ball five? Um, and I, I think they have an opportunity to make some really interesting lineups out of that. Um, especially if they can, let's say they do find a way to bring in Eric Gordon, you go Harden, Eric Gordon, just embrace the full insanity of, of the Houston Sixers. Uh, you know, like Harden, Eric Gordon, DeAnthony Melton, PJ, Dan house, like, that uh, you know, maybe you know, Max is in maybe Max is in a lineup. Whatever. The bottom line is, I think if if you play PJ at the five, 
you have an opportunity to really diversify your small ball lineup mix and find something that really works and you can blitz teams with. Yeah, I, I thought it took Eric Spolster longer than I expected in the Sixers series to like not play Dwayne Dedman so much. Yeah. And, and of course we saw like BJ Tucker you know, doing uh, small ball five stuff late in the playoffs this year, doing it impressively. Um, yeah, I think I'd be surprised if it's not a featured lineup for this team early on. And, uh, but some experimentation undoubtedly will be required and, and there will be some growing pains because there are significant new pieces yet again on this team. Uh, but I think, as you said, the notion that the most likely outcome is he plays small ball center and does it well, I buy that a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, let's go over to summer league. Cause we talked about Charles Bassey a little bit and Paul Reed observations from summer league do you it's certainly been an adventure to watch to say the least always is always is um i think isaiah joe's been the best player so unfortunate he left the loss against the nets today with right shoulder soreness didn't seem to be a serious injury you remember actually last summer league he had a, a mild left mcl sprain always good to go for training camp and was outstanding in the preseason. So uh, unfortunate that there's this another seemingly minor injury, but uh, the bottom line is when he's played, he's been an elite shooter, especially relative to many of these players with unreliable and wonky jumpers. Putting it nicely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, you know, he made, made seven of nine threes in the yeah. game prior to this, which is, pretty excellent and many of them were not easy ones and he's working around screens and shooting in uh, tough situations where he's tightly contested and he's extremely comfortable doing so Uh, and I think we've seen progress with his ability to hold his ground against bigger guys Uh, you know Banton tried to post him up a couple of times and like he he didn't really back down and he had one, um, you know, surprising highlight where he snagged the ball from uh, Coloco, the seven-foot rookie for the Raptors. Like, he's definitely, I think, put on a little bit of muscle that seems to be helping him functionally, yep. which is great. And I think with the Sixers, it's understandable that they viewed his relative lack of strength as limiting, but. I think uh, you also have to look at just what he's doing on the court. And if he's able to maintain this against NBA level competition, where you shouldn't be worried about him getting pushed around, that definitely you know, should improve his standing on the team in my mind. So Joe's the big takeaway for me, you know, Paul Reed um, doesn't need to be playing summer league, but I think looked like Paul Reed when he did thought the jump shot was maybe like, Five to ten percent smoother, a little less hitchy, perhaps. Maybe that's, that's being a little, <laughs> little too optimistic. But um, you know, Paul Reed, we know he can guard all over the over the floor. That he's going to grab a bunch of rebounds in any environment, and he, he did that. Uh, Traveling Queen has been interesting to watch. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I've seen some some positives from him for sure. Like I, I thought the first game. 
he adjusted to the new team well and uh, looked like a you know speedy athletic player who can thrive in transition. Since then, you know, there's been a lot of missed jumpers, a lot of turnovers, uh, but you do see little flashes of ability as a passer yes. uh, that the traditional NBA wing just doesn't have in his arsenal. So uh, I'm intrigued to see if he can improve a little over these next few games efficiency-wise and uh, whether he can show a little more of why he was the G League MVP and why the Sixers you know, think he's uh, a good prospect potentially. Um, so those are my, my main general takeaways. I'll let you uh, take the floor on your, your Charles Bassey takes. Well, well, let me ask you this. What do you think of Jaden Smith? Um, I think so when, they, when they first drafted him, I, I expected the three-point shooting percentage to go down a lot from what it was in college, and that's unfortunately happened. It was, it was mid-20s in the G League, and I believe he's made one – um, on, let's say, 13 attempts through Summer League. And if the vision of him is 3 and D wing, that's a huge problem long-term. I just think the three-point shot right now looks very effortful. And I agree. there are a few things to me that just seem obviously wrong with the form. Uh, he, he tends to want to dip the ball like below his knees. Obviously that's not always doable in a game setting. Uh, and when he's not able to do that, it's very stiff and uh, the weight transfer is just really awkward and not fluid on the shot. Um, to his credit, he's mostly shooting them. Uh, and he's had nice aggressive spurts where he's, Decided not to shoot the three and attack the basket and drawn some free throws, made some layups, um, showed that his physical strength can be an asset in those ways. But you do have to focus somewhat on the shot because shooting is so important right now in the NBA. And um, it's hard to be an NBA rotation player if you're not a good shooter. So he's 19 years old. You can understand why the Sixers are still optimistic about him, but... I think the shooting has to get better and it's hard for me to see that happening without significant changes to the form. So I guess I'll start with, with Springer. I think the best word to use, I, yeah, for, for him specifically is jarring. It's very jarring. Uh, it's incredible that like defensively, I think he's about as stout, and ready for the NBA as you might get out of a 20 year old guard or 19, still 19, 19 year old guard. Um, and you know, I feel pretty confident that he could be one of your three best perimeter defenders right now. Um, offensively it's, it's very, he's very challenged, um, on a, a right now, a good day for him looks like, someone who can at least keep up with the pace of an NBA game on offense. Like he's starting to, he can catch the ball and, and, and attack a closeout and, you know, be a slasher a little bit, but he's not that fast. So, I mean, defense is closing on him pretty quickly. As soon as someone touches the ball or two guys get in his face, he's a completely abated and loses control. 
the the, the shooting mechanic, like you, it, it's actually gotten a lot better. I I think since what it, where it was in Tennessee, like Tennessee, it was a it was a basically a bowling ball that he was throwing up every time he got the ball in the mid range. And I think now there's a little bit more fluidity to it, but I think there's a lot of problems with the energy transfer, the 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 the, the muscle under the ball, like you said. He's got multiple galaxies to go before he's ready for an NBA court offensively, unfortunately. Um would you would you think that's fair to say? I wouldn't entirely disagree with that. No, I think at least a postseason setting, right? Like yeah. Regular season, I, I can buy a lot more that if some of the just game speed, game processing stuff improves a little bit, that you can be fine. You can do some nice things for you defensively and uh, mirror ball, ball handlers well already. Uh, and that maybe offensively in a more limited role where less is asked of him, that he's not going to be a serious negative to your team and hit the occasional catch and shoot three, maybe if, if things move in a slightly more positive direction, but yeah, there, there sure seems to be significant offensive work required. And I, I think for me, it still continues to all revolve around the shot. I think there's more justified confidence in the shot. Some of the hesitancy and uh, issues related to, missing reads or making ill-advised passes, I think some of that probably dissipates because there's more clarity to the game when you trust yourself to, to make open jumpers and he doesn't right now. Um, so he's, he's got to get to that point um, in his development. Yeah. I, I don't think Joe, obviously, I, I don't think he's played at the level that we saw from Tyrese Maxey from last uh, summer league, but he's looked as confident. He's looked, you know, like he's grown his game in similar ways that Tyrese has Ty- Tyrese had uh, way back when he, you know, I think he's putting forth a more professional effort on defense with just, you know, using his length to, 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 to burden ball handlers. He's playing passing lanes, like a free safety, uh, would you know he's handling the little the ball a little bit and even like comfortable in some and you know making reads at a double drag. I saw him hit a pull up jumper yesterday out at, at, of the mid range off of a screen. So I mean, he, he looks like he's diversified his portfolio a little bit offensively. Uh, we'll see if it translates. I think the 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 consensus last year was that this season was disappointing because he had a really nice preseason and then he just couldn't get the ball to go in the basket in the regular season. So we'll see there, but I, I thought he's been, you know, standout. Paul Reed, obviously very early on, looked like he was the best player on the court by a country mile and hasn't really played since. Um, yeah. He's, he's, he's done for summer like Paul Reed. He's yeah, just, yeah, that's right. So yeah, no, no need to, to see anymore. He'll, uh, he'll keep trying to add inches to that vertical. Yeah. We'll, we'll see <laughs> not the, uh, the 10 to 15 more. Trevor and queen. I think it's, I guess I expected more out of a guy who got a free agent deal for 300 K guaranteed. Everything I've seen, it's kind of been like, why are you, you're kind of forcing it a lot. Like you're, you're, you're telegraphing passes for turnovers. You're chucking up threes every chance you can get, you know, to every time you touch the ball. 
maybe I'm being harsh. Um, I I haven't been impressed, to say the least, is what I would say. I think that's a little harsh because I do think you saw, especially in that first game, he's got some intelligent instincts as an off-ball mover. He made one really nice uh, backdoor read to kind of seal the win and then made this like acrobatic layup. Um, and I do think he's gotten himself in some nice positions. The shots just aren't falling. So I think it would be a lot easier to take a more generous view on his game um, if the numbers were a bit better. Yeah. And my impression is he's a better passer than the stats have reflected. Okay. There have been a few instances where an NBA player would be finishing that layup or, or instead of getting fouled would be, you know, dunking the ball. So, um, but yeah, he's certainly not been impressive. I think that's, that's fair to say. Um, and yeah, for, for a G league MVP, you just expect the production to be more because yeah. that's, that's how he did it. he, Stuffed the box score in the G League. Was had like three steals a game, five assists, twenty-five points. Scored forty-four points in a game in the G League Finals, and that has not yet translated to the Summer League. But I, I think we, we probably should be willing to cut some slack because it's a new team, uh, and it's understandable if you feel some pressure to show why he was the G League MVP, why he deserves a regular season spot on the Sixers. Uh, but he's definitely got work to do to um, be a little more impressive, uh, just I think across the board. The only thing that I kind of saw that made me think like, oh, this guy has experience at this level, at least like his ability to match the pace of the game. Like he was able to play to the speed of the summer league and, you know, was up to the task for that and also just the ability you know sort of in line with what you said but the ability to leverage his scoring gravity to lift a defender out of the lane and then use that space to dime up his you know a a cutting teammate like those are things that just that's processing speed and intelligence that typically guys that don't have prior experience unless they're super talented in their lottery pick those guys typically don't have that and um that that was the one thing that kind of stood out to me um, for him. So summer league, summer league will be over a couple of weeks. Then we have training camp coming up, I guess, in September, October timeframe. Um, what is left to do this off season for you, or for I guess for this team in your eyes? So I'll, I'll try to weave a little little Charles Bassey in here because we promised Charles Bassey, uh, and we we have not yet really touched on him. So. I think some folks might answer this question by saying get a more traditional, older, reliable backup center in the mix somehow. I personally don't view that as essential. We talked a bunch about why PJ Tucker is capable of of being a five and providing some insurance to the the Bassey Reed idea. Um, I think just broadly where there's the most uncertainty with the roster right now is who can run an offense and create shots when Joel Embiid's not on the court. So as we said, that's not necessarily a huge strength of D'Anthony Melton's and Doc Rivers loves keeping Harden uh, and Maxie together. So 
maybe Shake Milton reasserts himself and can have better injury luck and uh, do some positive things for this team like as a legit second unit combo guard. Um, but I don't think Sixers can 100% count on that, even though I personally like and have always kind of liked Milton's game um, and don't think he should be discounted like from the bench picture. Yeah. Uh, and then I think it's fair enough also if you think the wings aren't yet as good as some of the other teams the Sixers would want to be facing in the Eastern Conference Finals, for instance. Furkan Korkmaz and Matisse Thibel are still on the team. Neither are widely regarded as two-way players. Daniel House is a very good journeyman. So if there's a way to uh, upgrade the wing situation, that would be ideal. Um, I just think you got to, of course, find a deal that, that actually makes your team better as opposed to just dumping those players because especially Fable, you can't forget that he does bring many special qualities to the table defensively. Um, And I don't think you can call him just a lost cause just because of how his season went so horribly wrong post um, the decision to not be fully vaccinated. Uh, So yeah, that's kind of how I'd look at like, the state of the roster right now, there's nothing that strikes me as, man, they're they're totally screwed if they don't do X or Y. Uh, and the like roster situation is you know, once James Harden presumably is officially locked in on his new deal, then you've got 16 guys on the team with uh, Trevor and Queen, uh, the partially guaranteed deal. Uh, and then I believe Isaiah Joe and Paul Reed are both uh, non-guaranteed so there isn't like an easy avenue to just add a free agent that you might like or uh, to find some sort of great pickup out there. Like I think um, for the most part, you've probably done the main work you set out to do and um, your roster isn't perfect, but I think it's better than the one that ended last season. So you can't rule anything out with Daryl Morey, but you know, my, read on it is if they enter the season the way they are now um, for the most part that that wouldn't be surprising and that wouldn't be a bad thing either. Yeah. I think I would interpret it the same way. Um, People think like the 5 million below the cap or below the apron, I should say in space from Harden taking a discount is like the world's endless supply of wealth. Like that's going to get, that gets you, you can take a little bit back more in a trade if you were to trade Tobias or uh, Furkan Korkmaz or Matisse Thibel. You can take a little bit more back than you could give out. So that's that's a that's a good thing. Um, but like you're largely talking about you know, if if you if you cut Queen or you you know waive the guarantee on on Reed or, or um, Joe, you're looking at two minimum contracts. So, I mean, they have a little bit of wiggle room left, but still not a ton of, of, of flexibility to with which they can operate. I would say 
it sound just like my reading tea leaves is that they're waiting for a trade to materialize before they make the, the Harden contract official. Um, because it's like, well, they're there. He's taking a $15 million discount, but we don't know what the figures are. Figures are yet. Well, why is that? <laughs> what, what, what is it? What does that mean? Um, so that would be the way I would read it, but I, I totally agree. I think if they were to go into the season with their roster as is right now, they'd probably be content with some of the moves they've made this offseason. Yeah, it's just worth remembering, too, that Daryl Morey has acknowledged he likes to make deals at the deadline. Yeah. He likes to see the team he has and have some sort of sample size to assess yeah. what they are before uh, moving forward with further roster tinkering, right? So I think that's not at all an unlikely uh, way that this shakes out, that he is positive about the idea of gaining a little chemistry and continuity and having a deeper understanding of where this new team's weaknesses are um, after doing, in my mind, a, a very strong job of addressing the last year's team's weaknesses this offseason. Absolutely. Noah, I've kept you long enough tonight. Uh, you have anything to plug? Um, no, yeah, that, thank you for having me on for a second time. Um, yeah, you can find my work at NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com. Follow me on Twitter at just my name, Noah Levick. And thank you. As I think we said our first time, if you've stuck around to the end, uh, you're, you're much appreciated. You're definitely a hardcore uh, fan and obsessive of this team. So thank you. Uh, if you just so happen to be listening to us still 70 minutes. In. <laughs> Noah, thanks for having on with me, my friend. I will catch you soon. Sounds good. Thanks so much.